Well, thank you so much for that introduction. The last speaker was, uh, is obviously a very hard act to follow. I really felt that you gave us the essence of research science in a way which all of us uh, feel. So I would like to thank very much the Academy for bringing me here um, and for allowing me to participate in such a, a great occasion with so many great people. Um, I myself feel that I, I shouldn't really be here at all because after all, I'm only representing a number of people who've worked on the things I'll, I'll briefly refer to. But I feel that at least if I come here in the spirit and accept the Plate Award on their behalf, then it's all right. So you must think of me in that way. And so, well, thinking back over my early life, one immediately thinks of mentoring. I've been mentored by so many people. Like most people, I was mentored by my parents, by my teachers, Colin Reese, who got me through my PhD, then going to Leslie Orgel's lab in, in California and working on prebiotic chemistry, the origin of life. That was huge fun and really expanded my mind. And then I came back to join Sidney Brenner's group in Cambridge, England, where Sidney was beginning work on this little nematode, Cenorhabditis elegans. And there um, I began, I played with various things in the beginning. It was a young group, a young object, not very well known in science. And uh, in fact, the thing which, which uh, was good for me and I hope a little bit helpful for the worm was, was following the cell lineage. That's simply a very simple thing. It's just looking from the single cell uh, that the animal develops from, following all its divisions and also the cell deaths that occur automatically through the process until one gets to the roughly 1,000 cells of the adult worm. I did that work with Bob Horvitz and others. And um, in fact, although it's 30 years ago, that was my a small contribution to the joint Nobel Prize that he and Sidney Browner and I shared in 2002, which rather illustrates a nice thing about the Nobel, which is that it does look rather far back. It draws aside the curtain, as Hans Jonval, the secretary of the committee, put it to me. The work on the program cell death was carried on particularly in Bob Horwitz's lab and unquestionably he was responsible for bringing it to that point where it was recognized as being important. Um, but from there, um, in the 80s, I went on and like a number of others, I realized that we had to work on genomes. That's to say we had to look directly at the DNA of animals. What was happening is that everybody in the field was spending a huge amount of time digging around in the 100 million base pairs of the worm's genome, the worm's DNA code, to find the genes because the whole purpose of doing things like studying the cell lineage and mapping it out was to find out the way it worked, to find out, in other words, which genes were operative when, how the thing developed. And then, of course, from that, by inference, uh, to move into larger animals like ourselves. Well, that's exactly the way the program has worked out, but we had this bottleneck at the beginning of the 80s that it was a very long process to go from the mutations or other ways in which we could recognize the action of a gene to actually find that gene in the haystack of 100 million base pairs. And so with Bob Waterston now, I began, uh, in, and Alan Coulson in my lab, the two labs working together, uh, we began uh, mapping out the genome of the worm. And in due course, that led us, as technology improved, to actually sequencing all those 100 million bases. And talking about mentoring, it's rather interesting with the two Bobs, how I switched from being mentored by my elders to being mentored by my peers. And I think that is actually uh, typical of all of us that we, we live in mutually mentoring situations 
few, very few of us work entirely alone. But the, the thing about the human genome, apart from being much bigger, 3,000 million base pairs, apart from being international because it was bigger, also had much higher stakes. And it led us into something that certainly changed my life, which was the battle to keep the product, the sequence of the human genome, in the public domain. Because although we had a good international agreement to workers, we'd, we'd, we'd clearly realized with the worm, you know, this kind of work is pointless if it's not collaborative. There's no point in, in labs going off and dealing with DNA in isolation. The whole point is that this is a tool that the whole community uses. And yet, as you no doubt know, there was an attempt to privatize the human genome, to put it in a private database and parcel it out for subscription, which not only leads to a class distinction between scientists who have adequate funding to buy into such a database, but also leads to an inhibition of communication. Because if people do not share the database freely so it's visible to all, it's impossible to describe the work that you're doing on understanding such a complex piece of data. And so it was essential that we won, and we did win, and the human genome, like uh, most genomes, is in the public domain and freely available. And so that, to me, uh, was an enormously important thing, and as I say, it made a big, bat not bat big impression on me. Because it brought home to me, for the first time, I'd been a very sort of ivory tower scientist in many ways, the insidious power of economic forces in our societies today. And that's really what I want to go on to and just lead through a chain of thought, which is very burning in my mind, and I, I think in yours in some way too. But to say one thing is that I, I, I want to make a very unfashionable point. It's sort of unfashionable because of the way science is funded now. Science is a process of discovery. It's a process of exploration. This is what science is. But most people don't think it's that at all. They think it's technology. They think it's applications. They think science is about making mobile phones or something. Now, it is, of course. We use our discoveries for applications, but they are separate from the important process of science, which actually is a part of philosophy. When you go back just 400 years and you look at the great epoch of understanding of cosmology, when the solar system was turned inside out, the, the discovery of evolution 150 years ago, the discoveries in fundamental physics, the current discoveries in molecular biology, of which the human genome is just a small part, an ongoing process, the discoveries we're going to understand our brain probably in this century, and we're going, as we know, out into space. These are the real explorations. These change the whole human condition because they change the way we think about ourselves. They change human philosophy. And we should see the applications that arise from this process as spin-offs, enormously valuable spin-offs, but spin-offs that should be controlled by democratic process, by the public interest, not just because they will make money. And so this brings me to think about the wondrous excitement of our position, and I really would like us to focus on that for a moment now. I want to put it to you, and this is a very important point, that we may well be the only intelligent life in the universe. We may be the only intelligence in the universe. We can speculate. You know, some people like to make probabilities. We have no knowledge of any other intelligence. We have no knowledge of any other origin of some organism, some living being, anything that can think about itself, that can build up this process. I just gave you 400 years, think 4,000 years. Think where we've come from. This is not about genetics. This is about cultural development. 
We have got to the point of our intelligence where we are building on our knowledge all the time. We're doing it faster. It's an enormously critical position. And I think the most important thing we have to do is to survive. I'm afraid I don't think the discussion of the existence or otherwise of God is all that important. I'll tell you why. I think it's fine for anybody to believe whatever they like about life after death, but I would like us to agree on one point, that it's life before death that is clearly important, and we can speculate about the rest. So we want life before death, we want life going on into the future. And there's only one way to secure this. We can't go on as we are. My appreciation, my small appreciation of the economic forces I mentioned coming through that battle over the Human Genome Project reminds us, broadening out, we must bring global justice in the world to match global profits. It's an extension, if you like, of what Alan Laffley was saying. And I would suggest that what is good for Procter & Gamble is good for the whole world. He talked about uh, moving from advocacy to cooperation. We have to proceed not by war, but by peace. And the hard one is that we have to proceed by leveling wealth between nations, by cooperation, not by competitive economic power, however good that is in the local level for sorting our wealth globally, it will not do. Competitive economics right now, what do we see? We see the richest countries playing catch up with one another. Everybody's scared of falling behind in this race for wealth. We see everybody else emulating those countries, all consuming resources. Where are we headed for? We're headed for World War III, and that's be the end of humanity, our final century, as Martin Rees puts it in the title of his book. It won't do. If you could prove to me that it could be done again, that there would be other intelligent life, that there is a God, fine, that would be different. We know none of those things. We just have ourselves, our own responsibility, which is getting bigger and bigger all the time as the applications of our discoveries grow. But I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. I've not been able to talk with many, many people with, with the, such a short time, but I'm hugely encouraged by the open-minded thoughtfulness that I find among the delegates here. And I will just be patronizing and mentoring just in a closing sentence. I would say, please, please go out and bring global justice to the world. Thank you.